welcome to Team Up, a podcast where we talk about team-based primary care in British Columbia. Today we're going to talk about coaching and reflect on our last Team Up webinar. I'm Morgan Price, a family doctor, and with me today in the studio, and by studio I mean remotely, as of course we're connecting through our home offices, we've got Colleen Kennedy from the BC Patient Safety and Quality Council and Sarah Fletcher from the ISU. If you missed out on the webinar we'll be talking about today, there are a couple ways you can access it. Episode 5 of this podcast shares the webinar audio pretty much unedited, and on teambasedcarebc.ca you can also access a video. Links are going to be in the show notes. Thanks, Sarah and Morgan, and what great people to have join us for our last webinar. Darlene is the Director of Primary Care Planning in Interior Health, and just a wealth of information on this topic. Charlie is with the Practice Support Program and is a team-based care coach with the South Peace Division. Wendy Boyer is, uh, has supported family physicians and primary care teams in the South Okanagan Similkameen for over 10 years. And she's also with the Practice Support Program. And most recently, she's taken on the role of the Provincial Team-Based Care Enhanced Coach with the Practice Support Program. And their presentation was great, and it really covered a lot of ground, including, you know, the role of a coach, how coaching fits into the interprofessional competency framework and team-based care. And also what was really interesting to me is how they introduced a number of specific tools that can really support team-based care in practice. I really like some of those very tangible pieces, Sarah. The uh, other thing that we got to do in the webinar was break out into some small groups and have some, some conversations about what was working in our experience and sharing back and forth. So that was that was great. If you haven't been to a webinar, I definitely recommend it for that reason alone. And today we're going to reflect on some key takeaways from the webinar. Uh, thanks, Sarah. You know, what really stood out for me with both the practice support program and interior health was the approach they had around really considering what matters to the team on their journey, really getting into understanding of where the teams are at and their readiness for change before they jumped into things. And I think both approaches really relied on the development of these structured approaches to help guide their work. For the PSP coaches, they really lean on their QI framework and they walked through that as well as the ADCAR model. So awareness, desire, knowledge, um, ability, and reinforcement. So really looking at using the structured models to help guide the teams. And with Interior Health, they've developed this team-based care leadership 101 curriculum, which every team-based care coach and team goes through, which I think really sets them up for success. And then this team canvas tool that they've created to guide teams as well. Colleen, I'm, I'm always of two minds, and, and I'll, I'll share both of them. One as a facilitator, you know, change person, I, I think those are so important. And, and then as a physician, I'm like, let's just get on with it. I always feel that that tear between those two is like, yeah, okay, let's just move forward and I can just go right to the R and add car, right? But actually all those other steps I know from trying to help with change, it's so important. So it's great to see how how those frameworks were all be all being applied in different settings. I agree. And the interesting thing is, I, I always say this, and I think it probably is the reoccurring theme of what comes out of my mouth is go slow to go fast. And I think, you know, as a clinician, it's that common desire to just like get to it. Let's get going. Let's solve the problem. Let's just start working. And I think what we found is you put a group of people together and expect them to all of a sudden function as a team that doesn't happen without that purposeful effort. So really taking that time. And I think, you know, the real value we're seeing is is that, that those readiness assessments. So really getting a sense of where that team is starting. So where where are they at in this journey, even in terms of their readiness to work differently? Where are they at in terms of their own concepts around what that will look like? And I think when you understand where the team is at, there's such an opportunity to really move forward together. And I think both of the models, the one used by PSP as well as Interior Health, really drew on, on those principles of, of starting where the team is at. 
Well, and I think this idea of readiness assessments and starting where the team is at becomes particularly relevant when we think about how do you do this virtually and how do you do this with teams that aren't co-located. And I think Charlie gave a really good example uh, in the webinar of you know how she's now supporting teams virtually in this way. And there's you know there's some great tools that can help support this. She was talking about you know really being able to prototype ideas, the the value of working through things virtually with people. But what happens if if you move too fast with change? How would you suggest a coach kind of backtracks or or gets people on board when they're launching into the coaching process? I think bringing it back to those basics sometimes, you know, sometimes people are going to be moving at different paces in the change and some people may be right out of the gate and ready to go and other members of the team may not be quite there yet. And I think you you do have to go back. So taking the time to start um, with those basics, making sure you're really getting to know the team and what you're trying to accomplish and, and taking the time to build those relationships. So starting with that, where are we at and where do we want to go? Because unless we really know where we're starting, we can't really map out the direction the team needs to go. And so I think that needs to be looking at that whole team. And especially right now, people are under stress. And if, if we're stressed, we're going to revert back to old behavior. And sometimes that means hierarchical behavior, um, if that's what we're used to practicing in the past. And so I, I think we got we have some grace there for ourselves and to acknowledge that it's it's okay, you know, we have to be gentle on ourselves, but also then in that space idea, I think the small changes then become important because it, it helps to build that momentum. And I think for clinicians who are sort of, give me the bottom line, I want to see a result, I need to see progress, that's a way to provide that, is make, making those, sometimes I, I've heard it called synthetic wins. And they're not synthetic, but they're, they're sort of small milestones so that people see them and go, yeah, okay, we did that. And I think that's really another important piece to sort of build that momentum back in. One of the takeaways that really jumped out for me was was the, you know, the importance of taking the time to get to know the team and having the, the support of a coach as a facilitator to help teams work through that, you know, thinking about awareness of how they want to work together, also thinking about that kind of assessment of where things are at and really focusing on on the foundations of a team and establishing that before implementation. And I think recognizing that for teams who have shifted back and forth to virtual, for teams who have, you know, added in new team members, we, we always say, when you add one person to the team, you change the team. So really taking that time, I think, to, to go back to those initial stages and build those foundations was something that really jumped out. I agree. And I think that foundational piece, that relationship piece is so, so vital. And I think that's what we've seen. If we can get teams early working on something together, that starts forming their teams. So it's not an artificial thing. It's actually they're they're working on something together and building the team as they're doing that work. And I think that's an important piece. Going back to your comment, Morgan, about you know those those wins and celebrating those wins, I think that this journey can feel daunting or overwhelming. But taking the time to celebrate those early wins, taking the time even to tackle maybe some of the low-hanging fruit, those those places where the team can have some early success and then celebrate the successes can really help build that momentum for change because people are seeing, oh, this is actually making a difference. I agree. And, and again, that action-oriented clinician view, the other way to do that, I think, is in, you know time boxing and, and just doing little trials of things. It's, it's that QI thing. Right? So let's just do it with one patient. Let's just do it one Tuesday. Let's and then see how it worked. And sometimes that can backfire because yeah, it's, it's not until the third or fourth time that you're comfortable doing something. But you know, it also is getting that action in there, which I think is important. 
I agree. And it's that iterative process that's key, right? That iterative process. And I don't know if you have, there's this picture I have in one of the presentations I give, and it's a picture of the IDEO designs for the Apple mouse. And it's this bin that's full of all these rejects, so to speak. And I think, you know, we can take that same learning into this work is that we're going to have missteps along the way and something might not work. But it's the important thing is as we're doing those iterative tests of changes that we're learning and we're seeing that we're learning and, and it doesn't have to be boiling the ocean. It can be exactly what you said, those really small tests of change and then saying, how did that work? You know, maybe that didn't quite feel comfortable. How could I tweak how I do this the next day? So again, one patient, maybe one patient each day for three days and keep building on that learning. And I think that going back to the webinar a little bit, that, that each of the speakers spoke to, to that building in the momentum a bit, particularly, I think the coaching from, from the coaching side, that was so, so important. And I can't remember if it came out in the chat or if it was a thought later on that coaching's a verb, right? It's not a, it's not a, a thing that happens once. It's a, it's a process that goes on. So as a coach, it's also being there near the elbow to encourage that change happening all the time. And maybe not all the time, but, but that regular check-in over time is really important. And I, we talked about that the last time we had a chance to have a conversation about this, that being present over time is really important. Well, and one of the things that I keep thinking about is, you know, it, it comes back to the idea of, of building a coaching culture. So it's not just about the, the coach role um, within the team, but, but, you know, how do you really bring the team into that sort of coaching feedback, rich, ready to make those, you know, multiple prototypes, that bin of, of Apple mouses, ready to try different things? And how do you really encourage that? in a team. And I think it's that idea of coach as a verb, of how do you spread that coaching culture across your team and really bring people in is what I was thinking about afterwards. I really liked in Charlie and Wendy's sort of summary at the end of the webinar, they talked about, you know, the coaching attributes that they really lean on. And I think those coaching attributes kind of build on what you were talking about, Sarah. They talked about that relationship development, this long standing continuity of that relationship development and, and, and building that through that mindful listening they talked about. So really being present and hearing what people are saying, asking really effective questions to probe deeper and sort of of inviting that partnership with those teams that they're working with. You know, they, they looked at sort of shaping and sharing the vision with the team as they go along this coaching journey as well, but also creating this climate um, where people have the ability to really provide some feedback in a safe way to really reflect on, you know, what they're seeing and, and having those frank and sometimes difficult conversations without sort of evaluation or judgment on what's being shared to really create that, that culture, bringing that coach into part of the team to support the team to ultimately help set them up for success. So I've got a pointy question for both of you. In a lot of clinics, you'll have some people that are very keen and then some people who are less keen. So it's very easy to build that culture, that QI coaching culture with one or two individuals in the group. But as we're talking about a team, where do you see or how do you see we engage those who are harder to engage? I can say a couple things just from experience is that, you know, I think it builds on what you said earlier, celebrating those early wins can sometimes be a way of bringing those people who are not quite at the same level of readiness for change into the change with you. I do think there's value in sometimes really going where the energy is, starting where the energy is with teams. And what we found that over time, often it starts to bring people who may not quite be as ready for the change, really them seeing the energy that's being built, perhaps the momentum that's happening, some of the positive changes they start seeing can be, you know, just the proof is in the pudding that the actual impact of some of the changes you're doing can help bring people into the fold. 
And I think, you know, so much of culture change comes down to relationships. And I think any opportunities that teams can take, particularly now when things are very different than they were, say, in March, any opportunity teams can take to, to really work on building team. Maybe it's, you know, activities that the full team does together. Maybe it's training opportunities. Any opportunities really to work on building those relationships, on making people who are maybe not used to being provided opportunities to give feedback, making them more comfortable to, to just feel safe within their team to share ideas, to engage in this kind of work. I think that really goes a long way. So, so thinking more broadly about team building as well as part of this, I think is really important. No, thank you both. That's great. The other one that I'll, I will sometimes go to is, is two, I think. One is just an over-exuberance of energy and excitement and hope that that's contagious. And sometimes it is, right? And people sort of come along because that's just the current. And the other is to try to find particular content areas that are of, of real interest. So if it's like, this is something that I'm really focused on, great, that's going to be, let, let's engage in that piece to bring you into the, the change process. And I also think, you know, going back to Wendy and Charlie's comment around mindful listening, I actually think there's tremendous power in listening for a coach to have the conversations with people who maybe aren't quite ready for the change and truly hearing and unpacking where some of that lack of readiness sits. So is it a fear of the change and the impact on their professional autonomy? Is it something else in terms of not sure how it's all going to fit together and a discomfort? It's sometimes just taking the time to have those conversations. And I, I found that over the course of my career back when I worked in the health system is often if there was somebody resistant to change, there was something else going on in the background that by taking the time to mindfully listen, we can actually start to address and say, oh, well, actually, and, and start to unpack some of the Years. I guess what I heard a lot is about relationships, relationships, relationships. And even I think I put in my notes about, you know, when I spent some time in Turkey and when you were, before you did business, you always had Apple tea. You started with Apple tea before you moved into the business part of the transaction, like buying a carpet or, you know, in a market or whatever it is that you were doing. And I kind of wonder about that with teams is, you know, we often talk about relationships, but but what does that mean? And so I'd be curious, you know, Morgan, from your work clinically with a team that has evolved over time where you've had a really solid culture and then new members introduced, you know, how have you continued to foster those relationships and create the space for this? A lot of our conversation does get down into into the weeds of the running of the clinic, the patient care. We have an annual uh, clinic-wide retreat and generally we pick a theme and we work on that together for a while. And it's, of course, we're off-site. And, and then we have lunch and the afternoon is playtime just to hang out. And that, that's a sort of every year we've been doing that for a long time. And that's not enough. But that's, a, that's one of the pillars of what we do to, to build that relationship and staying connected. And, and sometimes it's, you know, breaking off into different groups and just hanging out, you know, on the lawn and, and chatting. Or maybe there's a, a planned activity in that session in the afternoon that's not work-related. But it's it's a great way for people to connect together. There's a few people, as this sounds tongue in cheek, there's a few people that are chronically late, and so that allows uh, other folks in the room to have those just that that apple tea uh, before our staff meeting and before our clinician meetings because we have those regularly too. So those are other ways that we get that monthly check in to talk about what we're doing, not with individual pa patients, but just how the clinic is doing collectively, and then of course all the hallway conversations. And we value that, and so it's not a formal thing, 
but it's it's that I know it's safe for me to to wander back and go that was tough right or conversely hey how about this idea <laughs> right and so it can be both positive let's make a change and uh hey I need some help both of those sides of the coin come back to safety in our culture so that's so key those are some of the things that we do and a lot of it is informal what I did this week is I sent our clinic manager a uh, tongue-in-cheek world wrestling entertainment printout with a quote from her from our last team huddle that seemed very appropriate she made a comment about cages so she has a picture of a cage match with her quote on there so we joke around a lot too and you know we talk a lot about the value of really bringing your whole self to work and that idea might be intimidating for a lot of people but i think a lot of it also comes down to modeling right and particularly in leadership in a team if leadership or modeling that you know having those conversations about things you're doing outside of work are, are important that there's value there that people really want to know what your interests are that it's okay if your kid pops into a, a Zoom meeting, you know, to normalize that, I think that really helps create the baseline for making that relationship building part of how you bring yourself to work. I agree. In the case of today, my wild child dog making noise all over the place today. I don't know what she's up to. I really like what you said there. It's about that modeling. And I, I know I maybe have alluded to this before, but Ray Markham at the Rural Coordination Center BC always starts his meetings with some work around human being, human doing. And we've modeled that at the council as well in our work. So our leadership team meetings, um, our individual team huddles begin with this human being, human doing. So the human doing part is what we're working on, what's happening in our work side of the world. And the human being is who we are, that context of what else is going on in our lives, etc. And I think it's really important speaking to that whole self part of this work. I think it's vital. The other piece I'm wondering if I could dovetail into just, it really struck me that we kept coming back and I heard it several times about what matters. And what struck me with that is that when the coaches are working with teams, it is in no way a cookie cutter approach but much rather about understanding the context that they're working in, understanding the people that they're working with, understanding what matters to that team. And they really spend some time unpacking that and understanding that and, and seeing that whole person. And I think that's the, the remarkable thing for, I think, building trust and building an effective coaching relationship. I definitely agree with, with the importance of that. There's no question. Well, that about does it for us today. Thanks so much for joining us. And thanks again to the webinar presenters, Darlene Arsenal, Wendy Boyer, and Charlie Rudy. Really looking forward to the next webinar in the series that is going to be focused on rolling up your sleeves, practical tools for virtual team-based care. So we're going to dive into some actual tools and how to use them. So check out all the information at teambasedcarebc.ca. And you can also sign up there for our mailing list so you can learn about the future webinars. Thanks. And until next time. Mm -hmm.